0: Heatsick a Panther Miles and Dave Talking about Nicholas Cage
1: Is it? Yeah! Yes! God, there's way too much time in between. I know, there's
0: like 10 second uh, lead in and then a 10 second lead out.
1: It's like... Yeah, anyway.
0: Okay, well, Kay. today... We are talking about 1998's Snake Eyes. We're, I I feel really good about this episode. I feel really, really, really good about
1: this episode. This, this movie, I actually like thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Like, as a you know, even if for not doing homework for the podcast, I, if I had watched this just for for my own pleasure, I, I still would have really, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, me too, actually. Um, this, I mean, after Face Off, we had City of Angels, which, um, was you know uh, like the opposite of this movie in about every way, yeah. Like from his performance to uh,
1: well, and it's funny because City of Angels kind of falls in like a weird dip, yeah, you know, because he has he had like Con Air and Face Off and all that beforehand, right. and then he has this and gone in 60 seconds and um, uh, bringing out the dead, right? And so, uh, City of Angels was just a weird uh, you know. Kind of fluke,
0: according to uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicholas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli, by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. I'm sorry, I didn't totally catch that. Can you repeat it? The unauthorized biography of Nicholas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli, by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Um, I've actually I've mentioned this book before. Have you? Yeah. Huh. Um, the The next three movies are called the Midnight Trilogy, which is eight millimeter, um, bringing out the dead and gone in 60 seconds okay so um okay. we this is and uh according to this when nicholas cage's friends saw snake eyes they said the old nick is back
1: i don't know I, that seems a
0: little uh he's back for about 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> i think
1: i i will say the one thing that he's totally back like a hundred percent is the outfit that he's wearing
0: and surprise surprise He picked
1: the outfit. I mean, of course he did, and that's actually funny. When I was watching it with Alex, uh, Alex Herman, who was one of our he was on the uh, raising Raising Arizona Arizona episode episode. uh, a long time ago. But he and I watched this this film together uh, last week, and he mentioned that at the top, and progressively, like every couple scenes he would feel the need to remind me like, no, look, look at the suit that he's wearing. (laughs) And I, he was like, Alex was so enthusiastic about, about the, uh, wardrobe in this movie.
0: It's not even surprising to me anymore. Like when, well, I guess it, maybe it never was, but, um, like I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm like, of course he did because I, originally his character was supposed to wear a leather jacket, like a a leather jacket and a cigarette, which is a weird.
1: The cigarette might've worked, but the leather, I'm the leather jacket. I'm glad that he, uh, Hold rank on this one and, and, yeah. and got what he wanted. He has
0: this like beautiful like rust
1: colored suit and it, uh, like looks like it's like made out of like Teflon or something. Yeah. It's got it's got a really weird shiny you know look to it. Uh, I I can't really tell what it was made out of. But,
0: yeah, it it but it just looks like Atlantic City in nineteen ninety
1: eight. And the weird, it's not a Hawaiian shirt, but it's got some like awkward pseudo-tribal pattern on it, (laughs) you know, the, the, the like, yellow and brown button-down that he's wearing. I
0: feel like all the men in this movie have gold chains around their necks, Oh, no, they do, absolutely. This is also something that
1: I noted as well. Every single, like, male character, maybe with the exception of Sinise, but he has all the decorations. Yeah, yeah. But every male character, I guess, which is befitting for a casino in Atlantic City, they have some kind of bracelets or, like, gold chains, or they just have... Like, like really gaudy accessories on
0: yeah everyone. gaudy characters in a gaudy movie by one of the gaudiest auteur directors that America has um, this is the first time that and only time I guess that Cage uh, worked with de palma um, but i'm I'm glad that he did yeah me too, that was a. That was a strong team up. Nicolas Cage said of Brian De Palma that after they met, he, he felt that they were like very alike as people, very similar people, Yeah, which um, makes a lot of sense to me. Sure. So uh, I'm going to give a little context to this as I like to do. So uh, this was 1998 and Brian De Palma was hot shit. Maybe the hottest shit that he's ever been in his career uh it besides after carry because he had just done um Mission Impossible which um made 180 million dollars for Paramount Pictures so they were just like they thank you so Paramount was
1: uh had the palma fever and, and I remember Mission Impossible as being the movie of the year when it came out there was, it was like huge. there was like Mission Impossible fever yeah and I didn't know who De Palma was at the time because I was like, what, eight yeah. or seven when that movie came you out? You didn't? <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise. Oh, I had already seen Body Double 10 times by then. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, it really formed who you are. I was a very, very it. precocious child. Yeah, Yeah. so I, I guess I couldn't really put it in a context, but like later on in my life thinking about it, I realized it's kind of weird that De Palma directed Mission Impossible.
0: It doesn't really have the hallmarks of no. a De Palma movie. Besides maybe like the lack of uh, actual substance,
1: um, I think that's a little harsh. I know.
0: Well, we that's can we harsh. can get into that. I'm I'm actually uh, I I realize watching this movie that I'm I'm more critical of Brian De Palma than I wish I was
1: because see I don't think I'm critical enough. I was like, oh, it's a Hitchcock movie. And, yeah, and uh, take your pick. De Palma's done uh, I don't know how many movies that are almost direct analogs of a Hitchcock movie.
0: That's the, that's the um, thing that everybody loves it.
1: Right, him. and I recognize that he's like he's the best at it he's
0: the best at it and and he takes it somewhere new for as much as he is uh ripping off whoever whomever he a brian de palma movie is still a brian de palma movie those the hallmarks of that is yes like quoting other films um really saturated colors like really and and really like thoughtful use of color um, flashy camera work with a real sense of purpose, and then I think a, a kind of what, a superficial understanding of human behavior. Like, yeah, because
1: none of the characters in his movies act like people should. No, they
0: act like movie characters. Like, yes. it, it's not. I feel like Brian De Palma spent. 15 or 20 years, like locked in a room with just cinema playing as like a kid. And then he, he has his understanding of human dynamics. Like it, he has an understanding of it, but it's completely superseded by style and flash and spectacle and almost, it, it's actually just a part of the spectacle. It informs the spectacle and gives it a reason to exist and, and is, is part of it. But he doesn't seem to understand the actual reasons why the emotional beats should have any weight. Yeah, because
1: in movies, it doesn't matter.
0: Right. It bothers me every time I watch a Brian De Palma movie because. I want to just love it because I love the visuals.
1: I I will say this kind of piggybacking on that is every time I watch a De Palma movie, I feel like the feeling that I walk away with is... The wrong feeling <laughs> about how I should feel about that movie, <laughs> what do you mean like okay uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think like i the basest movie goer in me yeah. just takes it at face value and is like that was that was um, awesome. that was an awesome movie uh it worked it worked on a lot of different levels from like you know cinematography to production design to um even the script right with like a lot of them yeah, uh, and. But then the critical liberal arts educated side of my brain is like that whole thing was bullshit because I see exactly what he did. And he's cheating because he's he's using every cliche. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at when I watch a De Palma movie. Yeah. No. They, and so like it, yeah. like my my enjoyment of his movies is informed by like my. my my brain fighting with itself.
0: Yeah. I I get that.
1: As to like how much it deserves for me to like it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and I, you know, in his, I feel like the whole critical community since he came onto the scene has felt that way. I mean, there are people who are like staunch apologists of Brian De Palma. And, and I, I still haven't heard an argument that swayed me. I mean, because usually like the, the staunchest apologists are like, Everyone has it wrong. Brian De Palma is as good as Kubrick or as good as whoever you whomever. And no, I think he's a he's a fundamentally flawed director. And and even his best films have points that you could be justifiably critical of. But his best films are. I mean, he's got films in the Criterion Collection. He's got films that are universally considered classics. Um, Carrie, I think, is one of the best horror movies that's ever been made. The Untouchables is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Scarface is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, another movie that is like justifiably criticized for what it is and is kind of inherently silly, but has had.
1: I mean, it's the silliest. The whole movie's a cartoon.
0: Yeah, but but it's awesome. What is it? There's some MTV cribs where there's some rapper who it just has a TV just designated. It's for just playing Scarface, Scarface on loop. loop. Who oh. was that? Do you remember
1: X to the Z exhibit? It, yeah, it was like I some, don't know. somebody like I don't that. know.
0: His great movies are great because they're Brian De Palma movies. Like he brings something. Have you seen Sisters? No. That
1: movie is fucking crazy. Really? Yeah. Why uh, I why I, I won't digress, but you should, you should see that one. Well, his crazy. Movies are crazy body
0: (laughs) double body double is out of control and talk about a movie that is like on a human character level is bizarre and flawed and seems like it's just like not the dynamics of how people work, but the pure cinematic spectacle. And I don't just mean like big set pieces, which he does do, but just the, like, he's a sensualist. You know his sets are beautiful and interesting spaces for people to inhabit yeah the it you have interestingly dressed people shot interestingly it's just always great and it's great in its phoniness too it's great in its like right sin, it, yeah it's I feel cinematic that. and and that's I think that's the thing with like Carrie is because it's a pulp novel that is treated like a pulp novel and elevated to art. Scarface, too. It's, it, it's pure pulp, but it's, it's, it's made into this operatic cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And so what's really weird about Snake Eyes to me is that... Besides everything? <laughs> so, I mean, is that Brian De Palma it, it had basically already made this movie... When he made Blow Up, well, he didn't. He didn't just make this. Yeah, right. Right. So I mean, and Blow Up was a movie that he was literally quote. He was taking blow out by or no, 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 I, no I, mean, I mixed, yeah, it, yeah, around. Yeah, I mixed yeah, it around. I mixed it around. So Blow Up, the Antonioni movie, right? And Blow Out is the and Blow Deploma, Out is yeah. the diploma with John Travolta. But I mean, it's. Kind of based on the same, the same thing uh, or it, the plot swings on kind of the same hinge, which yeah. is like there was this moment where some shit went down and some the, the main character is kind of driving themselves crazy, trying to figure out what happened in that moment. And so we get that moment from different angles, different perspectives. Things are un- uncovered as we keep revisiting this one moment, but- in this movie, he purposefully undercuts that, like, 40 minutes in and is just like, Gary Sinise did it. Gary Sinise is the bad guy. The rest <laughs> of the movie is about, in essence, it's supposed to be uh, about Nicolas
1: Cage and Gary
0: Sinise's, like, friendship.
1: Kind of. That, that's one element of it. I think another element of it is to, to kind of suss out the motivation, you know right, what I mean? Right. So, so so it's like, it, the the more interesting part of this movie is that is twofold. The why. Is, is the why. So, you know, it's not like a, a movie where there's like a twist end, where it's right. like, that's the point.
0: Right. But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is that Brian De Palma is a really good how director. He's not a great why director. Like, you know, the... the I see what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. And about the twist ending... this movie almost had a twist ending. So remind me later, because I want to drop that later, but there's that. I have something amazing. Stick around.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was split personality. Nick Cage (laughs) and Garrison, he's the the same same person. person. Yeah, Yeah, it's fight club. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, Okay,
0: well, let's talk about what, so the plot of this movie, which, uh,
1: which will take two minutes to explain, but then we have to explain also that it's, seen by like like through the eyes of like six different people right right oh
0: and just to finish up my my scene setting so de palma had directed mission impossible and made 180 million dollars he and uh, i didn't write down the screenwriter's name but he he, they they wrote this movie together and brought it to paramount and paramount paid them 10 million dollars up front um which is was the biggest upfront package that had been Ever. As just like an advance? Yeah. They were just like, yes, wow. we are on the diploma train. Wow. Like, and everyone was really into the script
1: too. See, that's weird to me because it's, uh, this movie was never going to be Mission Impossible no. too. So I don't understand. The most Mission Impossible or like action kind of
0: elements of it, which again is the how is the, the, all the intrigue and shit of, of how or this fucking, fucking crime, crime went, went down. down gets undercut and then it turns into like uh relationship drama I mean and there's still violence and there's still um it, you know it, it's still pulpy but yeah. it, it's not like you say it's not mission impossible it, it's about or it tries to be about interpersonal it seems relationships
1: like a really weird follow-up for Mission impossible like yeah. but you know I guess he decided well I did the studio movie that made me money now I'm gonna do my own project
0: i mean he also followed this up i think with mission to mars which if you've ever seen it is i
1: don't even remember that movie existing at all
0: i might be i might be wrong I, but i remember it being really bad
1: his he was i mean go- with a name like mission to mars i don't know what you're expecting
0: <laughs> i might be confusing it with john carpenter's ghosts of mars which i oh, know see, is very bad i do remember that one weirdly yeah. enough um, Gary Sinise's character uh, Was originally going to be played by Will Smith But he, he, he,
1: he <laughs> Was this fresh off Wild Wild West
0: <laughs> I don't know Or was it off Men, I, in, Men Black? in Black I think. Okay, Yeah but, um, but he, he did Enemy of the State Instead um, because he asked for like 12 million dollars Or some stupid amount and they
1: were like no Wait so Will Smith I'm sorry maybe Will, I miss this Will Smith was supposed to be Rick Santoro No he was supposed to be Gary Sinise Oh that movie oh man really yeah. dude Gary Sinise is what made that character Yeah,
0: totally. There's no way that well, Will Smith
1: could have pulled it off After Will Smith they wanted Al Pacino
0: <laughs> Again lo- those are two very different movies
1: that could have been. I like that there's alternate dimensions where Snake Eyes was released <laughs> with both Will Smith and Al Pacino. Holy shit.
0: Al Pacino at his most, like, hoo Like, Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Like, I think you just made the devil's advocate. <laughs> like, it, it would just be Nick Cage and Al Pacino. Just, g- like... <laughs> uh, so this isn't as interesting, but there was also, like, between all the, like, money disputes with Will Smith, somehow Cage's... Uh, contract got messy because he was also scheduled to do superman it ended up getting smoothed out by the paramount studio chief who was sherry lansing the producer of a little passion project called racing with the moon there you go all comes around but and it ultimately didn't matter because superman didn't happen um uh also side note it, it Cage was in talks with Terrence Malick to do the Thin Red Line around this time.
1: Oh, you mean on top of every other actor that was already in that movie? Right.
0: Yeah. So Terrence Malick was uh, coming out of like a 17-year exile, like self-imposed exile to remake a movie. And like every single actor – Every single white actor, uh, mostly it was like George Clooney and Sean Penn, and just everyone wanted a part of it. And he had lunch with Nicolas Cage. And uh, then he was, and Terrence Malick, I guess, was like, cool, great, all, all right, like uh, I, I'm into this, and I, I'm gonna go to Australia and do some scene scouting, and then I'll call you when I get back. But when he called him after he got back, Nick Cage's uh, phone had been disconnected because he'd been getting like weird. Um, like harassing phone calls apparently So instead of like calling his, his uh, Nick Cage's representation or anything per- Terrence Malick apparently said Well fuck him Like literally he said fuck him I'm making it without him And uh, told the press about it Man he gives up really easily Also De Palma originally wanted Travolta for this role For the Santoro role Which would essentially be Blowout Again, Travolta and
1: Pacino. Travolta and fucking. Pacino. So yeah, this movie could have been Travolta and Pacino.
0: Well, all right. So that's all the could have been. So let's get. So what is it actually about?
1: What happens? Snake Eyes, uh, which which they say no less than twice in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um.
0: So Nick Cage is a corrupt Atlantic City cop. I'd like to see movies set in Atlantic City. I'd like to see a list of those. So I don't. I don't know if there are many although it was shot in Montreal. So Rick Santoro cop on the take, we get, I think the best scene in the whole movie, which is a 20 minute steady cam shot. It was incredible. It's, it, it, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. And, um, it it, it was like a, a serious feat of filmmaking.
0: And again, like, you know, that diploma was like, you know, it would be cool. Let's Tw- just 20 yeah. minute
1: opening shot. Yeah. We can make a
0: movie around that. Like,
1: so they had to have had grips like moving stuff out of the way because he was doing full 360 shots. Yeah. Yeah. So like there were all these moving parts behind the camera going on. Like it's not like he just set the scene up and then like pulled a steady cam through the shot. Right. Like well, there the, I mean there was you know he moved from section to section to section doing like complete three sixties yeah every couple minutes.
0: So not to mention all the choreography of oh, uh, I know. Like I mean there's a it's a huge crowd scene and you have pretty much every single you have every single actor in the whole movie in one scene. Like introduced in the in the one scene. And that's part of what I mean besides the technical brilliance of it, it's great because it establishes Cage's character. It establishes almost every character, but
1: especially Cage's and Sidious's characters.
0: And it establishes the uh, the layout of yeah. the the building they're in, the yeah. sports arena that they're in, because basically the whole movie takes place in it. So we immediately get a sense of space and uh, a sense of character. It like it sucks you right in. Which and-
1: I'm I'm a total sucker for movies that that are all set in one in in one um place location, and yeah. location and run in real time which Me this too. one because they do flashbacks in different perspectives it's it's you know it's not real time necessarily but i mean No, I, you know. I
0: yeah, I am too. It, it's it's cool. I mean, I don't think realism is a, a, a something I would say this movie has but Oh no, it, I think it has almost none of it. But it ground that yeah. that grounds all of the the cartoonishness of yeah. it. So, cop on the take he is at a big fight um, for what's the boxer's name in the movie lincoln tyler lincoln tyler rick santoro um, is there to see lincoln tyler fight with um and his uh his friend
1: kevin dunn i think that's i think that's sinise's name yeah so he's so kevin dunn is a sergeant yeah. Uh or he's he's a high ranking officer who is in charge of Steven Tyler's uh Ste- security. Steven Tyler?
0: <laughs> Lincoln Tyler. It it all takes place at an um, Aerosmith concert. <laughs>
1: The whole thing, dude, the almost twist ending that you were talking about earlier, it turns out that it was all uh, a, an Aerosmith song. It was just a video. Yeah, yes. Yeah. St- yeah Steve, Steven Tyler just made this whole story At up. At the end, they just walk off set. and <laughs> um, Joe Perry unplugs his guitar,
0: <laughs> takes off his Gary Sinise mask. Just oh. think
1: of how much better this could have been if it had had, like, an Armageddon-style theme song with, uh, d- done by Aerosmith.
0: Fuck. Let's just Rick and Morty-style, like, hop to each dimension that, uh, and just watch every Snake Eyes that we just invented. Um, okay. Wait, so
1: it's, it's a continuous shot. Um, fuck. Okay, Lincoln Tyler. Lincoln Tyler. Uh, is the, prize is, fighter. Right, is the prize fighter. Gary Sinise is in charge of Lincoln Tyler's security. No, he's no. in charge of protecting the oh, you're right, Secretary you're right, of Defense. Yes, he's in charge of protecting the Secretary of Defense. Who is
0: there, not as the Secretary of Defense, but just as a sports fan. Right.
1: Just to enjoy the fight. And uh, Gary Sinise uh, brings Rick Santoro, Atlantic City cop on the take, um, to help him. <laughs> Because basically he's, you know, he knows the city. He works in the city. Uh, and so, you know, because he's old friends with Gary Sinise, he calls him in to kind of... Buddies. Just buddies back.
0: there yeah. for a big high-profile uh,
1: sports fight. And we find out sports later... Fight, Jesus sports fight. Sports fight. Boxing match. God, I'm such an art school kid. Sports fight. <laughs> um, so they're there at the football match.
0: <laughs> meanwhile... Um, outside the hockey arena, there is a hurricane, Hurricane Jezebel, which is, if all the like character names are cinematic, like even Which the actually, hurricane.
1: weirdly enough, Alex and I were watching this like the day that we were reading about Harvey. Yeah. And so it was just weird that like the, we started and immediately it, there was a hurricane going on in the movie.
0: Well, I, I don't, I don't know the best time to bring this up. Not only was that going on, but, um. The casino owner, uh, John Hurd, John Hurd's character is based on Donald Trump. Oh, the corrupt casino owner and the his this casino is based on the Taj Mahal, which (laughs) I didn't know that. That actually is. It makes sense. Right. Taj Mahal, of course um, was built in Atlantic city in 1990. Yeah. Um, went bankrupt. It's what oh, I wrote down some other, okay. It was financed through junk bonds and recently went bankrupt though. It's, it's reopening in 2018. Um, and, uh, it was the first casino in the U S to also have a strip club in it. But this, it, it f- for some reason, snake eyes is the timeliest movie that we've covered yet. Like despite itself. Um,
1: despite almost every aspect of it, which is really interesting.
0: There's a hurricane. It hinges on, um, it, it, in part, well, it doesn't hinge on, but Donald, Donald Trump is essentially a character, and uh, and it's all about, like, war profiteering. Spoiler. So, there, hurricane outside, big prize fight, but at the prize fight, Secretary of Defense gets... Hit in the head with by a sniper, yeah. He gets ganked, and um, Gary Sinise takes out the sniper, he's a hero, sort of. Um, and uh, Rick Santoro, Atlantic City cop on the take, says, This is my investigation now. We're sh- lock all the doors, keep everyone in here, and we're gonna figure out what happened,
1: yeah. So which is, I think, kind of a brilliant way to set the movie up. Yeah. You know, because... Great there's, setup. So it's locked down. There's a hurricane outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, this just makes the stakes a lot higher, yep. which is, I mean, a political assassination, the stakes are high already. But this this just, it's exactly what this movie needs to just pull right. it together.
0: So then it, then it goes. And now we've got um, the second best sequence, which is Cage... Going around and grilling people, look, searching for clues. Um, so he's shaking down Luis Guzman.
1: <laughs> he pops up in like the best roles in like movies that I don't even expect or realize that he's in.
0: I'm always happy to see Luis Guzman, and he's in great movies. He's in terrible movies, but he's just he's a delight, and he's good in this movie too. Quickly, like again, like the mystery is solved pretty fast that, um, Lincoln Tyler, uh, was throwing the match and, uh, he threw it as part of an agreement with Gary Sinise, um, who we find out was having the secretary of defense killed because they, um, he was on the take, right. By by like a weapons company, and the weapons company had been falsifying the results of its new missile, ballistic missiles or whatever some bad shit, and um, to make it look like they worked better than they they actually did, so they could get a huge government paycheck and uh but this one woman played by uh carla gugino
1: i don't know this is i don't recognize her from any other film
0: so. she she was uh a, I didn't either, but she was in Sin, uh, Sin City. Um she was in Wait. I was about to Okay, I wrote down that she was also in Spin City in the Michael J. Fox sitcom, but that I might have I might have just written down Sin City twice and fucked it up. Um but she was also Sally Jupiter in the Watchmen movie. Uh, so mm, yeah, yeah okay. But um she plays a whistleblower at the uh at the weapons factor company, whatever, and she has been sending emails to the Secretary of Defense saying that these missiles are bad and she's going to show up at the prize fight to give him proof that they're bad. So uh, Sinise has Secretary of Defense taken out and tries to take her out, misses. Cage finds her, gets the story, and... Then, I, I mean, then we can like wrap up the the plot. I mean, well, yeah, sh- that's that's what
1: I meant. The plot is not complicated. Yeah. It's the- it's the way they show it to you through a bunch of different people's point of view that right. like takes up the whole runtime of the movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I noticed that you also wrote the, the zero gravity flying eye. Yeah. <laughs> Which. <laughs>
1: that shit's awesome yeah that's i wish that was a real thing
0: (laughs) and i mean talk about like a hitchcockian device that is done in the most de palma way like the the footage that rick santoro finally finds that proves that his good friend kevin dunn was actually the bad guy was a, a camera mounted on a flying like metallic blimp with a big eyeball on it with clouds inside of it that, uh,
1: that like floated around the arena. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Yeah. We see like several times the slow motion of chaos erupting below this, like,
1: and actually beautiful- with, with, with a few of the flashbacks, the the placement of the blimp is how you can kind of quickly figure out exactly what point in time, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've gone back to.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and then, okay. So, the movie ends then with uh, in the most like Deus ex machina way, machina way that like it's it's fucking stupid that like Gary Sinise has. He gets like, I'm
1: laughing about it. Just remembering it.
0: (laughs) Well, he gets the prize fighter to beat up Nick cage, which is just like really, I mean, he's a shitty friend in so many ways. I, the, another thing I didn't believe is the fact that these guys were ever friends. Like this, this whole, like the, this whole emotional relationship, I just don't buy. And, uh, but whatever he, he gets Lincoln Tyler to beat up Nick cage. And then, uh, And then leaves him and he's like, you are lucky I didn't kill you. And then like literally like waits around the corner for Nick Cage to get up and hobble around to lead him to uh, the Carla Gugino, um, who is he had put in some safe area of the casino. He'd he'd locked Nick Cage had locked her in there basically for her own protection. And it fucking ends with Nick Cage leading Gary Sinise there with seemingly no plan, like he sees, he sees Gary's and coming with the gun and he sees his shadow on the wall and he's just like, okay, well, whatever. I'm still going to open the door and, uh, they go in and then outside the hurricane blows a giant metal globe at a police car.
1: Yeah, so it was a metal globe that was like part of the casino. You know, like it was supposed to sit on like the, the top or it, or be some kind of like. It looked like the Planet Hollywood. Yeah. Globe. <laughs> Why do we bring up Planet Hollywood so fucking much They're on making this podcast? Us. They're making us do it. I feel like every I feel like every other episode we is something about Planet Hollywood.
0: Dude, it's just like we're in 1998 and people, everybody was always talking about Planet Hollywood.
1: So, uh, I looked up some planet Hollywood merch on eBay. I was like, <laughs> I wonder, I, I wonder like how much Fuck this stuff's up. going for now. <laughs> no way. Um, they're really expensive. I found a really cool denim, like a black denim jacket that I really <laughs> wanted that had like a giant, like uh planet Hollywood back patch on it. Oh, but the dude no. wanted like 170 bucks for it. It's no. Like, yeah. Anyway. So that's so stupid. Cool. Um,
0: Yeah, so uh, the the hurricane blows the Planet Hollywood globe into the uh, police car, or at the end of the path of the police car, they swerve into the wall. They just crash through the wall, Looney Tunes style, and like literally catch Gary Sinise in their headlights with the gun, and he's like, "Oh, it's hey guys, I'm just nah, it's good," and he realizes that the gig, the jig is up. He turns around and shoots himself in the chest, not the head, but the chest and like turns around and (laughs) like smiles at them basically. And, uh, and he's out. Then we get this weird coda of Nick Cage. Rick Santoro is the hero cop who brought down this big, uh, this big Corrupt deal, then. But then he gets like mired in his own corruption and becomes like he basically has like a Ken Bone type moment, or like, mo, like anyone
1: listening to this podcast in like a year is not going to understand what that means at all.
0: <laughs> What's like a, who I was trying to think of like a good a- analog of like he, he was like Sully Sullenberger or something, right? If then after like his whole life had become public spectacle, it was revealed that. Sully Sullenberger was like a cannibal except that no, it's just revealed that, uh, Rick Santoro is just a corrupt, he's just a, a corrupt flawed yeah. human
1: being. And, and like the, so the, the crazy thing. Well, two things about the ending, which I, I wrote down. So the first one, this is a really good example of a movie where the hero saves the day and right. stays alive, but essentially the rest of his life is ruined, Yeah, which, this. which I think is always in movie, like when that, when that's the ending of a movie, I feel like that's always kind of like a Pyrrhic victory. Like it makes the movie, uh, it doesn't end it on a down note, but it, it just, it, it turns the entire thing into kind of like a pessimistic, yeah, you know, uh, period at the end of it.
0: It's the most realistic thing about the movie.
1: Yeah, probably
0: that uh, is
1: actually the fallout that happens to him after, right? After because this is we're all done.
0: we're led to believe, and again, I, I don't think this transformation like landed for me at all. But you know, in the first scene, he's going crazy, ba- uh, like just being a sleaze ball, yeah, um, being Rick Santoro, corrupt cop on the take, and then he turns into like pretty much immediately like the the hero. I get the feeling that there, that whole transformation is supposed to move me in a way that it didn't but anyway but that but that is kind of like real life though is that he's not he didn't go from bad guy to good guy, you know he just he was corrupt but he wasn't he wasn't that corrupt, and he had a moment of heroism but he's still, but it didn't, he's still the guy who dresses in the rust colored yeah. suit and the gold chains and drives around like a yellow convertible and shit.
1: And at the end when Sinise is telling him, like, you know, at at the final showdown between the two of them before the, before Planet Hollywood (laughs) globe comes crashing (laughs) through, um, he, Sinise says, the reason I picked you was because I knew that I could bribe you. Yeah. And that's why I chose you for this job. And he basically offers him, I don't remember the exact number, but it's millions of dollars to just take them, to just turn the other way and like walk out. Right. And, and Nick Cage is like, no, I mean, Rick Santoro is not a likable guy. Right. He's sleazy, you know, he's corrupt. Uh, He doesn't, do is he's given one fucking job and he just watches the match instead of doing his <laughs> he job. That's on the match. Like, like he's not he's not a good guy. He's not a guy you want to look up to. But um, regardless, you know, you can see Nick Cage consider that offer, yeah, and then decide no, I've I've drawn the line, right? And yeah,
0: you see him draw the line in a couple times. Like Gary Sinise forces him to draw right. the line a couple times, and those moments... like. Cage is really good in those moments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That I think is the, the best acting that he does in the whole movie. This
0: speaks in part like more to like how cookie cutter Hollywood can be than uh, his bravery or necessarily as an actor. But he, he does play a character that is pretty unflattering um, in – I mean it's showy in an, at the top but he's not a likable character. And then at the end when he's a hero – he gets the shit kicked out of him. Like he, his face is like busted up, and he's like drooling blood. Like if
1: this wasn't a movie and that was an actual situation, he would have been dead long before.
0: But he, he doesn't look like you know uh, Cameron Poe in Con Air, like coming in as the hero. No, he, lo- he actually he's closer to leaving Las uh, Vegas. I'm streaming
1: it, but I, I have a, I have, I took a couple screenshots of that because I was yeah. really, I wanted to remind myself. So thank you for doing that. But I wanted to remind myself that, that was, like, the most truthful part of the movie was Nick Cage's face after he got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Like, there was no, like, Hollywood hero gloss over that. Like, it's really gnarly and kind of hard to watch, Yeah,
0: honestly. Yeah. Well, again, like, Gary Sinise doesn't just... Excuse me, Kevin Dunn. Doesn't just have, like, a goon beat him up. He has the fucking prize fighter beat him up. So, of course, like... He, he looks like he, his ribs are broken. He's in bad shape at the end. And that was cool. But, okay, the twist ending that originally this coda didn't happen. Rick Santoro and uh, Carla Gugino's character walk outside and the hurricane blows a fucking tidal wave at them and kills them. But it didn't test well, <laughs> so wait. Kill
1: so just them, or like takes the whole casino? out? I don't know. Oh man, that's a. I'm glad they changed it. I kind of wish they hadn't. I mean, I, I, I like the only the way new-ending. the the only way that the original twist would have been better is if uh, an Aerosmith song had been playing <laughs> while, the, while the tsunami. <laughs> Which contest. one? Which one? Uh, Sweet Emotion. <laughs>
0: The baseline just yeah, yeah. In. <laughs> <laughs> credits roll.
1: Sweet emotion, <laughs> as like they're just getting swept away.
0: Yeah, you just the see Planet a hand
1: Hollywood globe floating, floating next to them.
0: You see a hand with like a gold Rolex that's just like sinking down into the water. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is for the best that he changed it.
1: I wonder what the point of that l- l- utterly nihilistic ending would be. Right. Yeah,
0: you think that there would be one, but it seems like you know what they, it, reminds, it tested well and he was like, well, we can change that.
1: Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Like when in horror movies where they kill the slasher and then like the last scene is like he busts out and right. just kidding, he's still alive. It's like you just invalidate the entire movie. Yeah, like why? That's what was, really frustrating as a viewer. Right.
0: Yeah, it it would have been frustrating. It would be like this story of like small-time corruption, but in fact it wouldn't have mattered anyway cuz all those people would have been washed away. Uh, okay, so I back to the Trump thing, there's this moment where um John Hurd makes a speech on TV and he's more presidential playing the corrupt casino v- version of Donald Trump who never became president then Donald Trump is as president and I I have the recording here I'm just gonna play it yeah
1: secretary Charles Evans Kirkland is dead he passed away at 10:48 p.m and at this time I'd like to extend my deepest sympathies to the secretary's family and to the nation to the people that he so faithfully and proudly served Uh, I have something else to say to those that would try to bully us or to terrorize us to divert us from the causes of peace and justice I want you to know that in spite of what's happened here tonight we are not deterred production of the air guard missile system will go ahead in accordance with Secretary Kirkland's wishes. It's called the first draft of history. Right? Yeah. I actually hadn't, that speech kind of glossed over me when I watched it. As it would. Yeah, but that, yeah, that. that's
0: that's cool. I realized listening to that, that uh, the, the whole, that he was saying that the missiles were still going to, shoot and which was going to cause deaths to the soldiers or whatever the, the problem was going to be with it and uh, that uh, plot point had not that washed over me I was caught mm-hmm. up in the Trump thing all I'm saying is snake eyes warned us
1: yeah man that's crazy uh, what else I have a lot of stuff here but I don't remember what a lot of it means oh yeah so this thing <laughs> I don't know why I wrote this down Somebody says, "Honorable dudes on the planet."
0: <laughs> I I don't know why you did that either. I, you wrote down such bitchin' technology. Another quote uh, that I don't remember. I don't. The context I don't either. For. But yeah. uh, um, good quotes.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, so there is something that that I think the the final betrayal uh, in the last scene, like between Sinise and and Cage, that I think really holds rings true to me is that it's not just a betrayal of of the country which we almost as you know millennials have just kind of taken to be like oh well america's always lying to us about everything but but the thing that really hits hard is that sinise isn't just lying to put america in peril but he's like betraying nick cage's trust as an old friend right so it's like the double impact of the personal betrayal on top of the just you know betrayal to like the patriotic way of life
0: interesting that this was coming out right with uh, enemy of the state too which you know I, I guess that was the mood yeah um which seems weird i don't know
1: what was going I on in 97 98 that we, I, I i recall the late 90s as being a pretty good time
0: people were still paranoid okay here's the thing the actress who the, the girl who's holding the seven sign for the seven rounds that uh, Rick Santoro hits on is played by Christina Fulton, Weston Cage's mother.
1: Oh, yeah. Did they meet on did they meet in this? On no, this
0: set? no. I think they, it was previous. So they. Oh, yeah. Weston
1: Cage would be way older than that. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah and he was with uh, Patricia Arquette at the time. But um, I thought that was weird.
1: Yeah. I wonder how she got. I mean, did he bring her into it? I don't know. It seems weird that they would her performance
0: is is bizarre Very that bizarre. She, she has this accent that I guess she was like, We're in Atlantic City, so but she's like,
1: Hi, call me.
0: Hi, hey, I got your number. Well, he gives her the number of his golden cell phone too. Another great <laughs> a golden flip phone.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: Ugh. dude what's that scene uh gary sinise it, it, before he's betrayed nick or his nick cage knows that he's betrayed him he's telling him about how he got pulled away from protecting the secretary by this red-headed woman and uh she y- he followed her up uh the stairs and um the camera like literally pans down and into her cleavage. And he's, he's like, I was staring at her tits while the, while he was shot. And Nick Cage was like, that was the plan
1: to give you a boner. And you got one. How easy is it to just distract a man? Well, you know, it's, and, yeah, it's Looney Tunes. Again. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, like it's it's like in the old it's like in the old cartoons where they would, you know, they're trying to get uh, uh, picked up. So, you know, they like stick their leg out, yeah. you know, and then like the car stops immediately.
0: Dude, that that redheaded woman could have been Jessica Rabbit or Bugs Bunny and drag like, <laughs> you know, like. G- he he essentially goes like, Auga. he's like, I know I'm supposed to be protecting the uh, secretary of defense, but I got a little business to take care of over here. Well, okay. So that's, that's pretty much what I have to say about this movie. Um, oh, also the, the closing song at the credits. I think, can, can we play the closing song at the end of this <laughs> episode? What song
1: was that? I don't know. I also noted that I was, I, I mean, exactly. I literally wrote down ending and, credits song.
0: Also, I'm sure uh, there's something to be said about, I think Nick Cage's last line, you know, after his life has kind of gone to shit, um, he goes, what the hell, at least I got to be on TV. That's some social commentary right there. <laughs> this It's not it's not a dumb movie. No, it's not. It's inept, but it, it, it's not it's not dumb. No, it's not even inept. It's inept in like a really specific way. Right. Oh, I mean we should say though like beyond that first 20 minute steady cam take, there's some beautiful shots in this movie. Yeah. The he does it repeatedly, but the camera overhead camera going from between motel rooms like
1: oh yeah oh that's so good he goes over the wall from room to right
0: and uh, he does that same overhead shot um when like that's the shot that breaks up the 20 minute steady cam scene is the the secretary gets literally shot in the head and then we get an overhead shot of just the swarm of people running and it's so good do you think he used a zero-gravity flying eye to shoot those?
1: Possibly. I mean, if I was him, I would. You know, I mean, they didn't have drones back then. No. They had blimps <laughs> the Yeah. the 90s. I wonder if <laughs> drones are the new blimps. Yeah. <laughs> the Goodyear drone.
0: It's a Led Zeppelin joke, but <laughs> with the drone, I don't know. All right. So, yeah, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I did
1: too. I would, I would highly recommend seeing it if you haven't, okay. especially if you're a fan of De Palma or Sinise or honestly just like really interesting movies that tell, a, uh, an otherwise mundane story in, in a really, really interesting way that, I mean, I, I would never, I would never be able to write that screenplay Yeah. or shoot it for that matter. I yeah. mean, I think honestly, I think they really, um, I think they really stepped up.
0: Yeah, in a way, the script almost takes on too much. I think. I I mean, I I, too much to go to dive deep enough to like really get into what the stuff that it's bringing up, which I think is part of why it feels shallow to me. But I, it's not actually. It's shallow because it's just it, it. It's ambitious in a way that a lot of movies like this aren't or if they are they're not shot with the style and like flair of de palma
1: right oh it's only giving us one minute and 46 seconds left i guess before because we've gone a while
0: but yeah we're done we're done um Um, so next time we start the midnight trilogy
1: okay uh with um eight millimeter
0: i think it's bringing out the dead either way um it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be great
1: Cool. All right. Oh, so uh, as always, we're on Instagram uh, at Heat Seeking Panther. You can also email us, heatseekingpanther at gmail.com. Also, incidentally, uh, if you do get an email back from us, uh, you'll notice the name on uh, the account is Rick Santoro. Yeah. Which Dave set up when we first started this, well before
0: yeah. we had watched this movie. We, we've been looking, it's all been building up to this. Uh-huh. Um, and please rate us on iTunes or whatever. Just rate us and uh, help us beat all the other Nick Cage podcasts at their
1: own game. Is that it? That's it. All right. Um, that's not it. You got to cue that roar up, my dude. Fuck. We miss this every single time.
0: Beautiful, bye.
1: Cage and Pacino ever been on screen together?
0: I don't think so. That's S- a crime. Man, someone needs to do that before, before Pacino goes, man. Has, has he ever done anything with De Niro either,
1: Cage? I don't think so. I don't think so.
0: Okay, Heat 2. Heat 2. Pacino, De Niro. Pacino, Cage, Cage Kilmer. <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> man. Someone green like this right now. This? Yeah, can we can we please crowdfund heat Two? <laughs> heat two, hotter.